everyone. Welcome to Talking Research. I am Asmita and this is a podcast that features in-depth interviews with prominent academics and researchers who study sexual violence across its different manifestations. This conversation features an in-depth discussion of sexual violence both in specific cases and more generally. If this is something that you find disturbing, please feel free to stop listening at any point. In this episode, I'm joined by Samantha Freeman, who is a PhD candidate in Northwestern University's Green Cultures program, and Samantha holds dual certificates in teaching and gender and sexuality studies. Her dissertation focuses on how television has represented sexual violence since the 1950s. and it particularly focuses on the medium's narrative conventions and aesthetics so in this conversation we'll be talking about her doctoral research on television representations of sexual violence both since the 1950s and at the present moment it's a really fun and enlightening conversation if you like this episode and the podcast in general please leave a review and rate us on apple podcasts and to get these episodes straight into your phone whenever they're uploaded please subscribe to the podcast and you can reach us through our social media handles and email address which are all in the podcast description along with resources and links to organizations that support survivors of sexual violence which is also in the podcast description so that's everything now back to this conversation with Samantha on TV representations of sexual violence let's dive in Hi Samantha, welcome to Talking Research. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good too. I just there's there these fireworks in the background going off. So, uh if you know if you can hear them, I'm really sorry. It's just bad timing, but other than that, I'm very good and very excited to talk about your fascinating, amazing research. So, the first thing I want to ask you is to introduce yourself in a way that you like to be introduced. Yeah, so my name is Samantha Freeman. I am a PhD candidate at Northwestern University. I use she her her pronoun. Uh-huh. Perfect. So, how did you get into researching sexual violence and you know, your your research is really interesting. You're looking at how um crime dramas portray sexual violence if I'm not wrong. So, I just want to, you know, understand how you thought of doing this research and what made you take the, the first step. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I like to say that I started watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit way too young. So, that show starts in 1997 and like pretty much ran through um my childhood years and preteen years and I watched it way too young with my parents who were big fans of the show and I always was really fascinated and that is such a interesting um and really complicated object that I can absolutely talk more about too. Um but yeah, that's kind of the start of it and then when I was in undergrad, I watched this film just for I found it on Netflix and was writing a paper about it called it was the film called The Accused from 1988 and it stars Jodie Foster mm-hmm. and Kelly Geddes and it is about a sexual violence a sexual assault and it's based off of a real case like a lot of the media representation um and I was writing this paper about it and I told my mom about it and I didn't really think much about it and she said that 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 movie really mirrored her own experience of experiencing sexual mm-hmm. violence and I think that's when I really started thinking about the way that this media there's so much to it and it's not just negative and it's not just positive ever it's really complicated and a lot of people have really complicated feelings about media that represents sexual violence. So that's kind of the beginning and how I got into that and then I was in grad school and I just kept being drawn to sexual violence and representation especially in television and I also like to say that I defended my dissertation prospectus when Christine Blasey Ford was testifying in the Senate hearing against Brett Kavanaugh mm. um and so it all just kind of felt like this is something that's happening especially right now. and there are some real conversations and representation going on in the media that i really just wanted to explore further. Hmm. That's that's really interesting because what you're saying uh it's 
really relevant to how this podcast started as well you know the idea that uh, the way popular media and the news and you know crime dramas and really anything we see in the mainstream of culture is not adequately representing it's actually doing a disservice to survivors and you know that that a lot needs to be explored there and a lot needs to change so yeah really interesting and i wanted to ask you when you say grad school do you mean do you mean um, your master's degree or do you mean your phd degree because i feel like when i hear the words grad school some people say use that to talk about you know when they're doing a doc a uh, doctorate degree or uh, is is that I, i'm kind of confused here <laughs> oh yeah yeah so uh, sometimes in various programs so i think that this may be more common in the us but they have joint mm. uh, phd masters programs so i went straight from my undergraduate degree into a graduate program in which i was going to get an ma degree along the way to getting my phd degree um if that makes sense oh. so i've just kind of been in grad school since undergrad um and just kind of working on getting those degrees kind of along the way but in tandem right that makes sense thank you so so right now as you're doing your phd you're exploring um you know how crime dramas have represented sexual violence and you're also exploring two contemporary crime dramas that talk that that uh, represent sexual violence if i'm not wrong please correct me if i am so tell tell us about that what do we know about first of all how crime dramas have traditionally represented sexual violence yeah so i really started this project thinking about law and order special victims unit which is a crime drama that has been on now for 20 plus years so two decades wow. um which is pretty incredible and it has been talking about sexual violence for a really long time and i think often when we think about television and crime dramas and sexual violence we think about law and order special victims unit but in my research i've been looking at shows and realizing that especially the genre of crime dramas um sexual violence has been represented since the very beginning of television's inception so like as early as like the 1950s we have representation of sexual violence and violence against women that sometimes is not as explicit that it's sexual violence but is kind of coded in some ways that we might think about it as such and mm. um and so the the kind of more contemporary stuff i'm looking at is shows like i i may destroy you and unbelievable and i think unbelievable mm. absolutely fits into this crime drama genre which i think also yeah. is really interesting and complicated because crime dramas are like such a staple in american television and other other places too but there is this real investment in like law and order and crime dramas and also carceral solutions for a lot of major cultural and social problems and mm. a show like i may destroy you it has elements of but briefly crime drama so i think that's one that also plays with genre and the kind of contemporary uh, criticism and discussions on that show is is actually they kind of classify it a little bit more as like a drama comedy and it also really while it has um a police investigation it ends up not locating its final resolution mm. or solution in the criminal system and that's what's really fascinating but i think that it's still in there speaks to kind of the way that our culture in america but a lot of other cultures really think that we can solve sexual violence in the criminal punishment system and that's really complicated um and especially in a lot of ways that i think a lot of the kind of moment of black lives matter too is really kind of thinking about mm. the way that criminal punishment system is really uh racially complicated and really like continues to that's kind of i'm just kind yeah. of going on but no that that's that's all really you know there's a lot to unpack in what you've said there's just so much you know just so much depth in what you've said uh and so many different themes i've incidentally seen both these shows b- when we connected and i read some of your work i was really excited because i've seen both unbelievable and i may destroy you and i have i haven't seen law and order i don't know do you recommend it should i start uh, i would say no <laughs> i really think okay. that it's a show that i i some people are really really attached to it and continue to be especially right. on social media be like this is so incredible but i think that it had a time 
And I think it's really interesting to see it continue to exist in like kind of as Me Too has happened. And it, yeah, I think it's it's a show that relies on a lot of tropes. I think it does a lot to also really explain. And every week, the fact that for two decades, they find new cases of sexual violence to talk about. And they talk about them and like, in a ways that I, you mentioned early in the podcast, sensationalize a lot of like rip from the mm. headlines, real stories. But I also think in taking stories from the pop culture, I think it does allow for a kind of dialogue and discourse on those issues, while it also is kind of problematic because it repeatedly is representing. And I think it's also a show that the earlier seasons for me are harder to watch than some of the later ones, um, especially given that at the beginning, it's so sensational and the language that they use is so explicit and also really problematic. And there's a lot of talk of like pedophiles, you know what will happen to you when you go to prison, which mm. is a mess and really harmful. Mm. And, and so I think they move away from that in some ways, but still kind of like it's a show that's been on for two decades and it evolves and it changes. Another example I like to think about is in the earlier seasons, you have a lot more murder victims. And so instead of a survivor who gets to tell their story to the police or even report, you have a dead body and the body is the crime scene. It is like all that gets to speak. And so later in later seasons, you have more, less murder, more survivors mm. who get to talk to the detectives and tell their stories. And I think that that is right. a move, like a really deliberate move as culture kind of um, grapples with people, you know, speaking about more explicitly their experiences of sexual violence. Hmm. So is it that every week they, they take on a sexual violence case or is it violence in general? So it can be any kind of, you know, violence, homicide or yeah, burglary, I don't know. Like just, is it is it all sorts of violence that they take on? Yeah, so the show Law & Order Special Victims Unit is deliberate. So the Law & Order franchise is much, much bigger and they have, there's right. like various other shows, but Law & Order Special Victims Unit is deliberate in thinking about sexual violence, also incest and various crimes mm. against children and often sexually motivated. Um, and so they, it's mostly sexual violence. And that I think is what's really interesting about it and where, and I think that it really did something for American culture to continually for two decades be like this is content that we can talk about now it's complicated also because it's like we can use it for entertainment but it also mm. is like entertainment but carrying on a dialogue and conversation and it continues to interweave real examples of sexual violence in American culture and then like making it really complicated and they even they represented in an episode the Michael Jackson case really early mm. um even before like documentaries like um it's leaving neverland on hbo like they were kind of on the on the ground representing things as they're kind of happening and that's i think really significant mm. so you know when you talk about how uh traditionally sexual violence has been represented are there any uh sort of markers or any tropes or any you, you know you've kind of mentioned this uh, language around pedophiles and uh, what happens in prisons but are there any in your research have you found any sort of specific genre specific tools that could be found in these shows that perhaps are not there anymore yeah that's a really good question so I think in some of the earlier crime dramas you have it actually being a lot less explicit which I think makes sense given um, censorship standards and kind of more taboo mm. in the 1950s for example but it's so it's right. represented in ways that are more alluded to and they use things like ellipses so that like you kind of a thing happens and then they cut and then the woman is um so traumatized that she can no longer speak and i think that is a trope or stereotype that doesn't persist as much now but still exists in kind of rape myths about like if if the survivor is so traumatized you know um how could they I don't know, like go on or report it or do anything. And I think that there's a lot more agency and a lot more discussions of diverse responses to trauma now, and especially even in mm -hmm. crime dramas. And I think too, thinking about other tropes, there is a long history and it's really complicated about 
um, one way, one easy way, and I say this with big air quotes, to make a female character more complicated and to give them a backstory is to give them a trauma. Mm. And if it's a woman, Mm. the kind of seems like the easiest shorthand for trauma is, well, she was sexually violated or, or something happened, right? And that I think is a trope too, that like, if that's the only way we can imagine women's trauma, that's complicated. And also in that example, they always overcome it. And it's like in the past and, or it like continues to haunt them in the present, which, you know, while it's true, like, you know, this is not a linear journey of healing ever. um, It is complicated that that is continues to be the only way that like, sometimes female characters are given complex backstories. And I think of mm. the example in Game of Thrones. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that show. Very popular. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and yeah, of course. In that, they were like they give Sansa Stark a storyline that doesn't exist yeah. in the book. It exists in the book, but with a different character. And they were like, "Well, no, we're gonna give this storyline to Sansa, and she is raped by the kind of big bad of the series at that point, Ramsay Bolton, and mm. it really is a way of like." At that point, she has been abused by a lot of men in her, you know, encounters. And this kind of, for a lot of fans, was the last straw. And they're like, that is just Mm. too much. And the show, too, has so much, like, violence, so much sex. It's very gratuitous in a lot of ways. And so for some people, when that happened, that was the final straw. And they were like, no, I'm no longer watching the show. And then also it follows, that narrative kind of follows these tropes of later in the season, not later in the seasons, like the final season I'm thinking about very deliberately, like she, like I overcame it and that really made me who I am today. And I think that also Mm. got a lot of um, pushback because it's like, well, yes, this happened to you and you are who you are now, but also like this idea that that defined her and she doesn't say the experience. Mm. She says, these men who hurt me Mm. made me. And I think that- Made me who I am. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then also there's this idea that like, rape revenge and so she like she kills Ramsey Bolton very violently if you recall um Mm, and so there's yeah yeah. yeah, so that I think is a really good example of tropes that kind of persist um and I think are really interesting to think about yeah it's really really interesting to think that you know these tropes I mean first of all it's really sad that they continue to exist but that they can be traced back to this time when you know, as you say, there was a lot of censorship and there was a lot of uh, women were sort of portrayed as passive and as, I I guess, like the idea of uh, the perfect victim or the, the, the rape myths around who can be raped. So, you know, it's, it's, if, 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 if it's a real rape, it's been a woman in a, a young, a privileged woman who's in an alleyway and it's a stranger who's coming and raping her, you know, as opposed to, actually what you know that obviously happens but what most sexual violence survivors are women and children and you know and people who've been violated by somebody that they knew so you know partners or friends or so so this idea of the perfect victim that even today certain kinds of cases get more attention and as you say in representations we see one kind of victim so it's really interesting to see how um where that idea originates yeah and I I mean I think what you say about Game of Thrones I also feel like I mean this has been said a lot but uh you know there were so many rape scenes just too many rape scenes and in in and and I think by the end of it it was kind of almost normalized in that show to watch those very very violent scenes and by the end if, if you've been a viewer from the start you're kind of uh, sensitized to it at that point right which is I don't know that 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 just seems very very problematic in that way that you're kind of like yeah you know this is just what this show is yeah oh I was gonna say yeah and I think that that was really important and interesting and I think especially the idea that like especially on these kind of like quality prestige television shows it's so normalized to gratuitous displays of violence and, and sexual violence mm-hmm. too um, that I think that there is some real conversation of like, what good do those representations do? Can they do any good? And I think too about yeah. the representational paradox that we have when we think about sexual violence too. So, and especially the case of Sansa, there was some pushback from kind of pop culture and various fans that when that happens, we don't see the rape. We 
he- we hear it and we see the face of Theon. So a mm-hmm. other person who is a victim of Ramsay Bolton is forced to watch the rape of Sansa Stark. Mm-hmm. And so, and you see in his face pain and emotion. And that is an example of like, they don't gratuitously represent the rape act, but you see it through a different person. And so in that sense, I think maybe perhaps some of the creators were like, well, look, we're not like graphically representing it this time, Mm -hmm. but you're also like now not represent, you're representing it in these ways that are kind of like ellipses or like you're not directly representing it, but you're still representing it. And then also that that was a really problematic too, that then you're only witnessing it through a like male eyes and that like he, you were like Mm -hmm. focusing on his trauma in that moment. And I think that that is like a, interesting like do we just like it's not as simple as like we don't represent it when it comes to sexual violence in tv but also like some of the strategies to make it less gratuitous can also draw attention away from that that too yeah 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 Uh, exactly and what you say about how uh rape or you know being abused was used to give the female character a more interesting storyline that's so that's just so true like to make her more interesting or to make just to show her as a as a full character yeah I think that's that's really interesting to see how that's been done to Sandra's character as well now to go on to uh the two contemporary shows that you're looking at in your doctoral research unbelievable and I may destroy you uh amazing shows I can't recommend them enough personally I mean especially I May Destroy You I watched it recently and it's been just I mean I don't even know how to think about it it's so nuanced I could talk about you know I could talk about it for hours but you know I want to come back to what you're studying and you know I want you to tell us how they represent sexual violence just tell us what you've looked at in that yeah absolutely and I think that I too agree and I think if you're looking for shows that think really interestingly and in, I think, more nuanced ways, I May Destroy You and Unbelievable are the things to watch. And so I'll, I was also thinking about, should you go back and watch Law and Order Special Victims Unit if you haven't yet? No, watch these other shows instead. Because I think that they are kind of taking on a legacy of representing sexual violence in really interesting ways. Um, I think when thinking about Unbelievable, I was also thinking about a thing you said earlier about the kind of ideal victim And I think in a lot of ways, Unbelievable is playing on that in that I think that it is Marie is a very like thin, attractive, younger white woman. But Mm. additionally, she doesn't, she grew up in the foster care system. And so it's it's not as simple as like, it's it's not so simple. And I think in that case, she isn't really an ideal victim because she has a problem trusting reality. And she is somebody who, given her other traumatic experiences in her life, disassociates. And by that, it means kind of like her perception of what is reality and, and is, is kind of, it's, it's detached and it's complicated. And so when she is asked about her rape, she, like, she at first says, yes, it happens to me. She reports it. She, her foster mothers kind of aren't sure. One of her foster mothers uh, says that Marie is kind of looking for attention and she's not sure if the rape really happened mm. goes to the detective tells him that the police detective kind of now is not so sure if the rape really happened and goes back to Marie and she starts to like upon questioning from authority who are telling her like we think you maybe made it up like really mm-hmm. struggles to articulate what has happened to her and at one point they said are you sure you just weren't dreaming and she goes I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened and they kind of really hone in on that and I think that that's a good example of she is not a perfect victim in that she yeah. yeah she is not like this is what happened to me she's telling and I think the next episode in that series is really interesting because you do have a victim who on paper looks a lot more kind of the perfect victim she remembers everything that happened to her she like remembers time um and I think that show and like later in the episodes too they kind of show how she while initially played the perfect victim and like did everything she was supposed to the trauma and the weight of what has happened to her and the fact that her case even being the perfect victim is not solved immediately or in any sort of like way that she's not sure if it's going to be solved really is hard for her and so I think it showed that show does a really good job I think of showing a variety of different reactions to sexual violence and yeah. Another good job saying not one response is correct, but that a variety of responses 
is very common and that one could respond in any way. And I think that that's a really interesting thing that the show does. And to kind of get at how I look at it, I really think I'm really thinking about television and television narrative and its potential that in ways that are different from film, for example. So the fact that you have eight episodes of Unbelievable, you get essentially like eight hours with these characters. You're able to mm. really get to know them. You get to, you're aligned with their point of view. You learn their stories. You learn enough about them to really for you to really understand them. And so especially at the beginning, you may even be kind of confused about why Marie kind of took back her statement. But the rest of the show, we follow her and you learn about why it's so complicated. And, and I think it's really just telling that television allows you to kind of return to things. And it allows you to make things more complicated. And it allows you to build on in ways that is different when you have like even just one episode of something like mm-hmm. yeah. you can like tell one story, but you're not going to see character growth. You're not going to see these characters beyond the detectives over longer periods of time. So I think that that's really interesting and compelling about television specifically. Right. And I mean, I wanted to ask, are there any uh, shows that you've seen or anything you've seen that's kind of in the short form? So it's not you know it's not more than one episode or it's not more than like the feature film length and it's and it's a very nuanced uh, approach and it's a very it, it's an ideal representation of sexual violence because both of these shows they're uh, they are you know I, I believe unbelievable is is it 13 episodes 12 episodes and Sorry, Unbelievable is uh, eight episodes and I May Destroy You is 13, 12, 13 episodes, right? So like, is I'm just wondering if it is, if we have seen representations, better representations in shorter formats. Yeah, I think that's also a really good question. And I think the answer, I keep saying it's complicated and I think it is because it is. And yeah. I think that, I think that the really traditional way that a lot of um, issues in our culture have been dealt with in television is what they call in television the very special episode. And so there are a lot Mm. of examples of this, like they have representation of abortion, but on only like one episode and in like sitcoms, I think back in the like 70s, 80s. And so it's like, you get an episode where you can talk about it and you get to like raise the stakes of this social issue and then it's resolved. Mm. And I think the idea that you can so easily and quickly resolve sexual Mm. violence and and trauma just in general is really not quite right. But I think that they are groundbreaking and that they are trying, right? So they try really hard to like tackle um, a various conversation. And I think I started watching 90210 with some friends of Mm -hmm. mine here uh, because they were a friend colleague of mine was like, you should watch it. There's like some sexual violence episodes in that. And I was like, what, really? And like a teen drama from the 90s. But it is. And they like, in an episode, they can talk about sexual violence, and they can talk about a part of it. And I think that is that is important. And that was important representation for a really long time. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is a way that it got to be in television for so long. So in crime dramas, maybe you have quite a few episodes in in a in various shows. So like in shows like 21 Jump Street is the one that I really like that I've been watching more of lately. It's these like, cops who go undercover. It stars most famously Johnny Depp and they like go undercover in like high schools because they look young so they get to deal Mm. with a lot of like current hip issues and Mm. in that they the show repeatedly has many episodes about sexual violence and so while it's what you call episodic like it's dealt with in one episode only by the fact that it like keeps returning to sexual violence there is something in that it keeps coming back to it and that Maybe it only deals with it and resolves it in one episode. But then the fact Mm -hmm. that you have like nine more episodes in that show shows that the topic is important and that it should continue to be engaged with, if that makes sense. Right, right. So so, it just reminds me that there is this show, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called Sex Education. Um, I love it. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, the, the second season, I think there is this... Uh, this storyline or this subplot in which um, I forget her name, but this character she's 
she's assaulted on the bus and uh, sh- uh and you know just i think how they dealt with that and i, I it wasn't the main plot and it was she wasn't the main character but i think that's a really good example of uh just a very nuanced and you know just a great representation of how sexual violence impacts survivors and how we can better respond to it yeah i agree and i i just recently did a little small presentation on that scene from sex ed where it's kind of it, it's recreating the breakfast club where the all the female characters in that show served attention together and they have give, they have been given mm. this task to find one thing they all have in common and they like can't for the longest time and then they start talking about boys and amy is her name the one um who's assaulted on the bus and she is just like i don't want to talk about boys anymore and starts like she's really upset and they kind of cut away and then come back and the the girls are like we're so sorry that this happened to you so it's you know it's implied that she tells them what's happened to her and they all end up going around in a circle and sharing each of them has an experience of either sexual harassment sexual assault and that's the thing that they all have in common and i think that that was really interesting and in that it's dealing too explicitly yeah. with like younger like teenage women girls right and i do think also in that as much as i really like that scene and then at the end of that episode they all show up for amy so that she can get on the bus like they go with her on the bus and they like they find a way to try to support her in a way that she really mm. like needs and is looking for because she can't get on the bus like she's so afraid to get and we see this through multiple episodes like she's not able to get on the bus and she's like walking many many miles and she just is afraid that he'll be on the bus again and that like a place where she should have been safe she wasn't and so that I think is really interesting I think it too to get back to kind of the idea of like rape myths though as much as I love that scene in that episode it still uses like strangers like all of those all of their examples mm. happen with strangers, not people that they know. And it, as you mentioned mm. earlier, like that's not, uh, you know, like that happened, but that is not primarily and predominantly how it happens, right? And so mm. I think that even in those representations, it's kind of like you have some good and you also have some problems and you have some like strides mm. made, but it can never really be like representation, especially, is so complicated and it can never just, it, I think it's, I always like to think about it, it's not positive or it's not negative. It's, something else and I like to think about what it offers us and what Mm. what you know kind of what can we take away from it and is it offering us something new to think about and I think that that's Mm. I think kind of the the power of media and representation and if that makes yeah so never like good never bad but it's it's a lot of things all at once and it can be both right it can be Mm. both negative and bad and positive at the same time that's a great great point I hadn't thought of that so the next thing I want to ask you is, what do better representations of sexual violence look like for, you know, for, for, for TV shows, for crime dramas? And do you think we're getting there? We're seeing this happen after Me Too? Do you think there's been a shift? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think that I liked it. when I started this project, I got a lot of very supportive people being like, wow, it's so great that you study that, you know, like that must be really hard because it's all so bad. Like, the fact that we have so much sexual violence on TV is is a real problem. And I was like, sure. And also, though, that like, but I think it is important that it has been with us for so long and it's been on television for so long. And I think additionally, though, when a show like I May Destroy You came out, people were like, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. like this is this is good representation. And I think that that show does a lot of really important work. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really important that also kind of on the behind the scenes, that Michaela Cole, who's the creator of that show, writer, she writes about her own actor. Ex- actor. Oh yeah, also actor. She like is writing about and drawing on her own experience of sexual violence. And so it's it's like semi-autobiographical and she's really mm-hmm. engaging with her own experience and, and working through it in television. And I think that what I also really like about it is it, it does a lot of representational things that I see in other television shows And I think especially something like I write about both Unbelievable and I May Destroy You together to think about the ways that they both use this idea of seriality and repetition and 
it, it returning to things that it talked about earlier in the show to make it more complicated mm. and to illuminate it and to make us really under the audience who may not be so knowledgeable understand that what at first seemed kind of maybe more simple isn't and that it's always more complicated. And I, I really like the example in that show of of stealthing. So if you recall the this mm-hmm, in one yeah. of the earlier episodes, Michaela Cole's character Arabella is having consensual sex with this man. I'm blanking on his name right now, but Zane. Zane, yes, who has was meant yeah. to help her kind of work on her book. She's an author in the show. And he removes the condom without her knowledge. So stealthing yeah. is the non-consensual removal or tampering with uh, protection and or condom removal in this case specifically. And he gaslights her in that episode because she, when she noticed that it has happened, she's like, oh my goodness, like what just happened? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. you, I thought you, you knew. And, and she like, oh yeah, yeah, no, sure. But like, is really kind of confused. And later in the show, I think it's a couple episodes later, she is like thinking about that again. And she was like, wait, no, that was not okay. And she even at a, a public event calls it out as rape, like that, that is, that is literally mm-hmm. sexual violence. Like you cannot do that. And I really like, and Michaela Cole is so incredible in interviews. I, I like to listen to some of her interviews and, and she, she explained that scenario and also another scenario in the show with her, with the friend Terry about the idea that what has happened is and why it's more complicated when we think about various aspects of sexual violence, it's the removal of consent so that in those scenarios, Mm -hmm. the women are not, they're not asked, right? So Zane doesn't say, Hey, is it okay if I take off this condom? He just does it. Mm -hmm. So there's not even a question. There is a question, but the kind of the question of consent seems removed because she, Arabella did not get to consent or not consent to that moment and she talks to Michaela Cole does about the Terry incident where Terry has a threesome with these two men that she meets at a bar that are that she believes to be strangers to each other and herself and she takes them home and has sex with them consensually and then or so it seems but then she later in talking about it with um, a date of hers realizes that it they knew each other that the two men that she had sex with that she thought were all strangers mm. were not that they knew each other. And in that scenario too, would she have consented to it? We don't know because she wasn't given that option. And, mm. and I think that that is that the show, when you, when you get many episodes, like 12 episodes in this case, you can have one, one moment with it and then you can come back to it. And with that allows the viewers time. It also allows us to kind of add on, to the conversation and it allows us to think about the way that sexual violence isn't always so simple. Like the idea of consent is one way we really like to talk about it. And that is really an important way to talk about it. And are people consenting and when are they not consenting? But then you have a scenario like this where consent is removed. Like it's not even put up for the participants Mm. to agree or disagree to. And I really think that television allows us to kind of think about the way that it is really complicated and you can return to it and you can continue to engage with that narrative instead of just kind of like it happened in one episode oh well you know and so Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important part of television for sure I mean I'm just obsessed with this show absolutely obsessed and uh I think you've really wonderfully highlighted how these forms of sexual violence that traditionally aren't taken as seriously so you know things like stealthing or you know tricking someone into a threesome it's just these things that have just not been uh, seen as serious enough or as traumatizing enough to be taken seriously and just like how uh, seeing that storyline and how you know how it's framed so first of all from the perspective of the survivor and uh and then also showing how you know in that moment perhaps she didn't feel um perhaps she wasn't sure what happened and then when she finds out and then how later on you know as you say over the next episodes how her um you know how she 
sort of make sense of that experience and how you know it's it's not like it can be resolved the word that you used in one episode um yeah really really wonderful show and really great points as well but the next thing i want to ask you is uh you know for 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 anyone listening who wants to make better representations of you know sexual violence in tv shows and crime dramas and uh you know even for us as viewers if we're looking for better representations what recommendations do you have you know what are some of the pointers that we can think of and look for yeah i think that's also a really good question and also not a simple one obviously but i think that yeah. i think that it's really important to think about you know who is this representation for what purpose is it seen to have and I think too that there has to be real care taken. And what I really like about Unbelievable is the show begins with a trigger warning, trigger content warning, Mm. and it tells you and its promotional materials are very explicit that this is a show about sexual violence. Like it is a, you know, Mm. crime drama, you're going to get the like investigating, but you're also going to be dealing with sexual violence for eight episodes like that is and it's based off of a true story. And so they they explicitly tell you that they also in making that show and I don't know the like real specifics but I I read that they consulted with Rain the National mm-hmm. Network for it's it's the acronym Rape Abuse Incest National Network and they run in the US is this national our national hotline for sexual violence and they were consulted and I don't know in what capacity that means but that they really thought about the representation that they were forwarding right so like they didn't just say, this is the show that we want to tell because it'll be, you know, people will watch it. It's exciting stuff. Great. Like they actually really cared about the representation that they were offering. Mm. I think the other really important thing is thinking about intimacy coordinators, which HBO more recently has been trying to employ more of. And an intimacy coordinator is somebody who is on the set to make sure that the actors know like what they are performing. And previously what had been happening was sometimes an actor, actress would show up on the show, on a show and be like, great, today we're shooting the rape scene. And it's like, there's not much, like, what does that look like? What does that mean? And mm-hmm. they're like, go ahead, do it. And it's like the the comparison made is that, for example, like sword, sword fights or various like fight scenes are super coordinated. Mm-hmm. Like they, every move is like planned out so that nobody gets hurt, right? And so that it, and it looks authentic, quote unquote, right? So why mm-hmm. not also, the argument goes, why not also impl- in, employ a coordinator whose sole job is to make sure that the actors participating in the scene are protected, that they know like what that scene entails and they can also advocate on the actor and actress's behalf to make sure that the scene feels safe and is safe for those participating in it. And mm-hmm. there's a really good episode uh, from HBO, it's kind of an anthology show. So each episode is like different characters um, called High Maintenance, where they mm. they deal with, they have like, they represent a intimacy coordinator. And I think that that's a really important role that I think that a lot of shows before hadn't utilized. And intimacy coordinators also come from a theater background. So, you know, the like the idea that like when things are live versus kind of recorded and edited, it's different too, mm. but that we can also employ it in this. And so I think real care has to go into kind of the behind the scenes, thinking about what we're going to see on screen, but also kind of the more ethical, philosophical question of what is this representation going to do and, and why are we doing it? And so I think that that kind of back to the Game of Thrones Sansa example, like I think they thought about it in terms of like a narrative that was very common that like, we will make this female character who has experienced so much abuse up to this point, like, well, she can, we'll, we'll give this to her character and it will really help and define her character, right? Versus mm-hmm. we really want to think about the sexual violence and we want to think about it in really interesting or complicated ways to mm-hmm. say something culturally or to really forward kind of the discourse and conversation. And I think that that's where even like a show like Law and Order Special Victims Unit I think does that to some extent, but also is sensationalizing. And that's where it's, Mm -hmm. I think the both and like, it's, it's both forwarding, like we need to keep talking about sexual violence, like they keep centering it, they really, it's an important topic that we can't just 
like not talk about or engage with, but also it, mm. it, 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 it engages it in often sensational terms. And it, it suggests that, that it can be resolved, that it can also be resolved in criminal punishment systems. So systems mm. that are really harmful to, especially, so especially to marginalized communities. And I think that this too, with, when it comes back to crime dramas, it's a genre, but it also is a genre mm. that has some real investment in systems that really do harm, especially in America and other places as well. And I think that that is a real, right now, there's some real critique being mm, put on yeah. cr- crime dramas and that like, yeah, yeah, we like the kind of like detectives investigating the story and getting to the bottom and getting all the details of what has happened, but also mm. that it is so intertwined and you can't separate it from its real you know, it's real investment in the police and it's investment in, Mm. and I keep saying criminal punishment system versus criminal justice system. And that is kind of Mm. the language that prison abolitionists use. And I I also think is really an interesting way to frame it because the idea that justice can be found in carceral Mm. systems is really complicated and, and continually has done so much harm to these marginalized communities. And even in something like sexual violence, a lot of survivors like don't end up reporting to the police or if they do report to the police, like the system doesn't work, like it doesn't get them the justice very often that they that they're told they will. And I think that Mm. this genre in television is so long and has been with us for so long that it is so ingrained in, in this culture. And also it like has, it carried on really important conversations too. And so Mm. both and it's really complicated and. Yeah, yeah. really, really well put. And um, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's really convenient for uh, TV shows and, you know, for uh, movies and especially like the more mainstream ones to show that at the end, something is change the right thing has been done and the right thing and as you said it's always the perpetrator being put behind bars or being punished which also is not really representative of sexual violence actually you know I mean the the figures of conviction I mean not saying that they should you know not saying that that's uh, the criminal justice system is the perfect response but that system has also been failing survivors so it so these representations don't even like represent how uh survivors are treated by the system i think but yeah yeah thank you for clarifying that i just want to read out this definition of uh the carceral system because i feel like it's such a term that we're hearing a lot It, it says uh carceral system is best understood as a comprehensive network of systems that rely at least in part on the exercise of state-sanctioned physical, emotional, spatial, economic, and political violence to preserve the interests of the state. So more than about justice, it's about, as you said, punishment and um, preserving the interests of governments and of state authorities. No, yeah, I think that that's a really good definition. And I think that that is what is getting a lot of conversation is happening right now around that. And I think Mm. that the other point that we've talked about is that we think it kind of goes back to that rape myth that people who rape are only like strangers known to the victim Mm. but that is not always the case right and so sometimes too thinking about sometimes people who are parts of our family who are people we are dating that we know who are friends can still commit this harm too and do we want them just punished and locked away or do we Mm. want do we want real conversations and accountability had? And the idea that the punish, the criminal punishment system, it's trying to deter through threats of violence versus accountability. And I, I really like Chanel Miller uh, has this really incredible memoir, Know My Name. And mm-hmm. in that, she talks about the idea that the, the, the system is meant, like you go, if, you, if your case goes to trial, the it behooves the perpetrator to deny, 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 and to avoid saying that they are guilty. Now that doesn't allow for accountability. That doesn't account. Like it's, there's no way in this system for people who have caused harm to acknowledge that they have caused harm, to try to find some way to 
fix the harm that they have caused. And they, we just, the idea is we just, we put them away to never be seen again. And that that is a real problem. And that we're not, if what we really want to do is fix larger problems, we, there mm-hmm. has to be accountability, there has to be real understanding of harm that's caused through sexual violence, and also what sexual violence is, right? And so thinking about the kind of less talked about, less talked about things like stealthing and just there's so much more that needs to be kind of understood yeah. about this topic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And also thinking about, as you said, most people who are punished by the system happen, you know, happen to belong to one race and one social background. And, you know, that's that's in the US. But in in India as well, you know, we see that most people who do end up getting convicted of crimes are people who belong to the oppressed castes and people who uh, belong to working class backgrounds so really people who are at the bottom rung of society who are oppressed obviously not saying that anyone who's committed a crime should not be held accountable right but as you said you know just seeing and conceptualizing different ways in which uh, that accountability can take place that is not destroying lives or you know even um not necessarily even violent so yeah, really, this is a really complicated and really difficult conversation. I'm really glad that it's happening right now. And there's this amazing movie, coming back to movies, uh, Just Mercy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Brian Stevenson, who's, you know, this amazing uh, activist, lawyer activist who's saved, uh, you know, who's, who's saved, I think, I believe hundreds of people. I could be wrong, but he saved hundreds, hundreds of people who've been on the death penalty in the US. And it's just, amazing and it i think it really illuminates how um like really punitive really punishment oriented criminal justice systems they can go so wrong and how you know they can really destroy lives and how they can even be misused um so yeah um i i would absolutely recommend it but thank you for making all of those points and you know thanks for doing all of this research but you know, I'm really curious for a lot of us when we're going through difficult times or when we're stressed or anxious or, you know, just even after a long day of work, what you really want to do is watch something mindless and, uh, you know, unwind. But for you, if you're studying um, how shows and movies and crime dramas represent sexual violence, you know, how do you balance your emotional well being with this work when, you know, you're really studying this? The, studying something that is usually people's avenue for relaxation you know I'm just curious how you know your mental well-being and your work and your you know the kind of change that you want to bring about how that's how you achieve that balance yeah I, I think that's a really good question and it's one that grad school is so long like I've I've just <laughs> feel like I've been doing this for so long too that it's not it's like kind of it's a marathon not a sprint and so I really Mm. my approach is work-life balance so finding time to be working on my research and my project and to be researching and the fact too that there are so many things that at any given moment I like want to watch more of so that I have more background in like watching more of these shows and seeing you know what they what what representation what conversations are had and I think that I try when possible. So like my 90210 example is really great because I found people to watch it with me. So fans mm. of 90210 who curated for me some episodes that we would watch and we watched together and had some wine and we were able to watch it and really think about And then we in, intercepted or not intercepted. We in, included other episodes that were not the sexual violence episodes, but just kind of more fun, light episodes mm. too. And I think the other thing I, I do is I watch a lot of television, a lot of movies. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I often, yeah, I, I balancing when should I watch more of my research things? When should I just watch more like fun HGTV property brothers? Mm. Um, but also <laughs> I think that it's, it's another thing too, that we film, film and media scholars get a lot, which is like, how could you, if you, if you research and this is your, your work, right? How can you ever really like, turn off that part of your brain. Mm. And I think that that's a really good thinking about it too. And I think that I don't, 
And I think that I just kind of, I keep the analytical eye and I also can really appreciate things. And I think sometimes too, I've had the experience where I'm watching a show. A good example is Big Little Lies, where I'm like, this will be mm. an interesting show and it's good because it won't be about sexual violence. And then I watched it and it was about sexual violence. Mm. And that happens too. And I think that that's another, like, I wish there was a trigger warning, but also like I, I yeah. watched the whole thing and was really interested in it too. And so I think that it is hard work, but I find it really motivated and, and really interesting. And I, I want to see what exists and, and what other, you know, ways we have talked about and represented this topic in the past, but then also yeah, finding the balance and finding other stuff to watch and enjoy. And my dissertation mm. chair is always, she's always encouraging me like find other things. And I was like, but I, I started reading this book and she's like, is it about sexual violence? Like, yes, but <laughs> I, I, I try really to find that balance when I can. Oh, um, I'm glad you have a, a good support network to help you get there. But, uh, you know, you've raised this really, really interesting point that uh, trigger warnings and I, I've been thinking a lot about this because I recently read this book. It's called Bastard of Istanbul. It's by Elif Shafak, who's just a wonderful, wonderful writer. And, you know, the key plot line is out of incest. And, you know, like that's, you wouldn't know that when you open that book, you know, when you, when you start reading, you wouldn't know that. But um, I was just, you know, it just came out of nowhere and uh, there, there was no lead up to it. And it was just, and I was just thinking, you know, this is, for survivors of incest if they just pick up this book and you know you're you don't expect it or a movie you start and you don't expect to watch rape or sexual violence in it there should be a trigger warning before the movie right like uh there should be some indication right like i i mean i understand that they don't want to give the plot line away but it really seems that the larger concern should be potentially protecting the survivors in the audience from re-traumatization yeah and I think that that is like a whole conversation that also is happening is yeah the kind of the value of trigger warnings I also I always lean towards especially when I'm teaching sexual violence so this summer I taught a class called me to media and I tried so hard to err on the side of like anything that I can think of that might be upsetting I would give a warning to. And I think the other way in like, especially a teaching context, I did this thing that I really liked and I will do again when I teach more of my own classes, which is I gave a survey for trigger warnings. And in that I said, I can't like it, it's hard to predict what will be triggering or upsetting for an individual. I can think about kind of some of the more like often ones that we think about, but I really was interested in, is there anything related to this content that you want a trigger warning for, for example, suicide, or really like violent depictions, like, tell me, and I will, when possible, tell you that that is in it. And I think that it gets to this idea is, does it spoil it? Does it end up ruining the story? And I think often, I, I lean towards no, I think it's better to tell people when mm. they're going to be dealing with because I think they also it allows people to put on their kind of their more analytical thinking so they're going to think about it in those ways and they're going to really be looking for the kinds of moments where that is really that topic is engaged and they're just not shocked by it and I think that that is in especially teaching but also media I think it's it's important to and I think you don't I think you can be specific and say that this will deal with this and then also like giving enough so that you're preparing people but you're also, I, I think that there's ways to balance it. I think also about trigger warnings when I, I really like when they say this includes depictions of X, Y, and Z, mm. and then doesn't add the preface, which may be upsetting for some viewers. I think that things like suicide, things like sexual violence are by their nature upsetting. And I think that if we just say this includes it, I think it prepares viewers and our students to understand that that is a topic that we will be engaging and that is hard to talk about is hard to think about but that we can't we still can and that that is important mm -hmm. to kind of preface what we're getting into in in what we're watching and what we're teaching yeah that, that makes me think about how we're doing trigger warnings in the podcast as well so i think i need to go read your work on trigger warnings <laughs> and um, maybe have a rethink about framing that better but um I think 
before we finish, I want to ask you one final question, which is if you have any practical tips on how a- everyone listening, you know, all of us and we don't have to be all researching sexual violence. We don't all have to be frontline workers, but how we can all on our own levels do something to combat sexual violence or support survivors better. If you have that one practical advice and you have given us advice on how we can better represent sexual violence in movies, which I think you said first, you know, make be, uh, think about who you're representing, think of the survivors in the audience and think of the message you're sending out. and second was consult organizations and survivors to put that effort in there are resources out there that will guide you so you know talk to talk to these organizations talk to survivors and um and you know do things like intimacy coaches so yeah take those extra steps to make sure everyone involved in that scene and involved uh with the representation is comfortable and it's you know not just not just like sword fighting so sorry if i've butchered that but that's kind of what i got really 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 valuable advice but one final practical tip if you have any yeah i like that question too and i think that i think when i think about this i think about a thing that i heard tarana burke who is cited as being an and for good reason, the person who coined the term Me Too, she yeah. said in a talk that I attended, and she said that back in 20, uh, 2006, right? So we really think about the Me Too movement in 2017 with the hashtag and Alyssa Milano, but it's really important to cite that back to being in 20, uh, 2006 with Tarana Burke. She, I was at a talk that she was giving at Northwestern, and she said something along the lines of, there are so many ways that we can get involved that anyone can be involved in any any social justice issue, but especially sexual violence. And it's really important that you find the thing that you can do. And I think for some people, it's real like activism and it's it's protesting and it's showing up. It's like really being there for others. It's mm. it's letter writing. It's it's calling your representatives, your people in government, and telling them you know what we want to see changed. And for me, I, I think it's it's really understanding this topic as best I can and continuing to learn more about it and teaching. And so really thinking mm-hmm. about not just like me doing all of this research that I am going to write down and some people will read, but I really want to engage people in conversations and I, I, I want to talk more about it with my students and and people around me. And I think that I, my approach is teaching and education, but I think that there are so many approaches you could take uh, practically, theoretically, what have you. And I think that it's just important that anyone really think about what is the thing that they want to do and how do they want to try to engage in this discourse and also how do they want to try and help this and this, this you know. So I think that that for me is kind of my answer, which is maybe not so specifically practical, like the kind mm. of like employ these things, do trigger warnings, X, Y, and Z, but is more kind of a internal question that I think that everyone should really think about and, and not just for sexual violence, but a lot of various social justice issues. Like what is the thing that you are going to do? How are you going to show up and how are you going to engage? And so that's kind of the approach I like to take. Amazing. I, I, I think I heard Gloria Steinem recently say that uh, you shouldn't ask what you should do, ask what you can do and do that thing. Yes, for that's great. Any, any social change that you want to bring about. And quickly about Tarana work, I really just wanted to add that uh, I'm so glad you brought her up because she said, uh, I, I remember reading that the way Me Too started was uh, there was this 10-year-old girl that, you know, that she came in contact with who'd been abused by her stepfather I believe uh, and Tarana Burke you know and she shared her story with Tarana and Tarana had you know she was so you know she was so upset when she heard that story and it was just so terrible and she had no words she didn't know what to say she didn't know how anything she could say that could you know help or that could uh, make things better but all she had to say was me too and that's kind of how you know the grassroots movement as you said in 2006 or seven started so just I find that so powerful I mean every time I every time that's 
brought up it just it's just yeah it's just so profound and so um just the solidarity in that as well amazing yeah and i also was just going to add too which that what was really what's really important about locating back that that phrase me too is Tarana Burke is a black woman and she was mm. talking with a black girl and she yes. Tarana Burke had a, a, an experience a sexual violence experience with sexual violence and right and that like she didn't know at that moment what to say or how to show up for her but she's like committed her life and to like to real yeah. grassroots movement and activism and to really center and to make sure that what is not left out is the experience of specifically but most specifically black women and girls but also just more generally you know non-white and and other people so that like mm-hmm. i think in, that also gets to and we you know could talk a whole other hour about the representation and the yes. fact that a lot of these are 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 ra- racialized and that they are often survivors are white women and that that is yeah. a, pro- a real problem with the representation and a, another reason that i think i may destroy you is so significant is that yes. they represent black women specifically and are really engaged with and that they have a a gay character a black gay character in that too who also experiences sexual violence and so making sure that it's not just it's not always just a white woman who experiences sexual violence it's Mm. it there's so many diverse survivors and experiences and that that's really important to also center and that that is often what is lacking in our media unfortunately and that to, to also get to what, what is better representation, it's more diverse representation. It's telling more stories by more people. And that that too, I just wanted to make sure that I said that because I think that's really important. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's obviously such an important point and um, yeah, really, really essential, but such a wonderful place to end on. And, you know, just I loved talking to you and I loved hearing about your incredible work and, you know, just learning all of these new things and all of these you know ways of thinking so thank you so much for making the time and thank you for your very powerful work yeah thank you so much for having me i I also really enjoyed this conversation so thank you so much Mm -hmm.